0: great to have the choir back. It is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. We thank you for the word of God that you put in the hands of men. You had... Every intention of revealing yourself through this written word, and we say thank you for it. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, and uh, thank you for the ability that you give us to worship you, to learn about who you are, to become disciples, and uh, just to work for you, Lord. Be with us this morning as we take a look at your word and what it says about this wonderful opportunity to be used by you to help others along the way as well as be helped as we are discipled. I just pray you'll be with us now in Christ's precious name, amen. So this is our final Sunday on the discipleship of the growing together. And um, next week we'll be uh, continuing pastor tim will pick up our uh, series on first corinthians that we set aside for the last eight weeks and um so please be here for that we'll be on first corinthians five and uh i know tim has already been looking at that and when i talk to him he can't help but talk about what he's going to talk about so you guys can come ready he'll be fired up and ready to go and uh so be prepared for that um I i titled this the purpose and essentials of discipleship and um it's interesting, I, uh, I think that I was looking at something that I looked at during the week as I was studying for this. And um, one of the things I saw that I didn't even write in my notes and that's dangerous because I want to say it, I want to talk about it. Um, God put it in my heart this morning to say it. And so I want to talk about the fact that when God created man, when he created Adam and then Eve, he said that he created man in his image. And um, I think there's some interesting dynamics that takes place when you think about that, being in his image. We're all made in his likeness, in his image, but yet we all look so different. None None of the two of us are the same, but we're still made in the image of who he is. But I think at Adam and Eve before sin came were true image bearers of who God is because they had no sin in their life. And he walked in the garden with him and talked with them and did things and they actually, they were walking along with him. Isn't that an amazing thought? But along came sin and that now man can't be a full image bearer of who he really is, God who he really is, because sin is entered. But God had a plan. And in that plan, he said, I'm going to, none of that caught God off guard, by the way. The whole Adam and Eve scene, the garden, he knew all about it. In eternity past, he knew that would happen. Okay, and so that's nothing caught him off guard. But um, it's interesting this morning, I wanted to share a couple things about being an image bearer. And um, when you've become saved, you now can truly be an image bearer. You can imitate Christ. Before justification, you were powerless to be an imitator of God. Let me say that again. Before you were justified, before you accepted Jesus Christ, and I don't like the term accepted, but I'm going to use it. Before you exercise the faith that the Father had given you to believe that Christ had died for you and was buried and resurrected, that he was truly God, truly man, died on a cross. He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. When you got that, you became justified immediately. There's no percentages of justification. You either are or you're not. But when you did that, you became, you had the ability at that point to be an imitator of Christ. You have the ability to be in the likeness of who he really is. Before that, I don't care how good you thought you were, you couldn't have done that. And even that, even in that sanctification process of becoming more like him, you can't do that on your own either. 1 Thessalonians 5, he says it. He says very clearly, he says, May the Lord of peace, now the Lord of peace will sanctify you completely or through and through. That's an interesting dynamic because I think sometimes I'm getting a ringing in here. Are you guys hearing that? Do I need to do something? No? Okay. Um, So because of that, that sanctification process, that is a process. That goes it takes time. You didn't get saved and now you're You are justified, positionally you're seen as holy. You have the righteousness of Christ in you. And I know we've talked about this before but I think it's important to talk about it again. So that's what happens. You are automatically seen as righteous but yet you're still in flesh and you're down here and so there's a sanctification that needs to take place, a sanctifying ministry and it's interesting that you couldn't become justified in and of yourself. It took faith. And that faith came from God. That was a gift from God, that you would be able to actually trust in Christ and Him alone. No works of yourself, none of that, all in Him. And in that moment, you became justified. So that's your position. But right now, you need to be sanctified. Uh, your position changed, your status changed, but you still got a lot of baggage. And I got a lot of baggage. Okay? And so, and, and the poor choir people, they've heard all of this multiple times the last three weeks, because this is all I've been speaking about. But I thought it was important to hear, because discipleship takes you from wherever you're at in the process and continues to move you forward. And so, that's one of the purposes of it, is that you become like Christ. Not that you become essentially, not that you become like the pastor. Or that you become, because hopefully if you're looking at your pastor and following after him, which you will do, hopefully he's following Jesus. So now his example, because I would say this about Pastor Phil when he was here. You know, our founding senior pastor, for you you that don't know him, he was here 48 years. And um. He never really said a lot to me about me following Him. But He always pointed me to the one He was following, which was Christ. And um, so I think that's huge. It's a huge thing. And so I just want to say that before I even get started. We are to be image bearers of Jesus Christ. When you got saved, the whole idea was for you to become like Him so that a world around you would be able to look at you and see Larry Howard. No, they they would see Christ in you. You ever met a Christian that you just went, you you just met him, you're like, this guy's saved. I, I can see it, I can feel it, I know it. I've done it a bunch of times. A bunch of times I've met people for the first time and went, there's something different about them. And I don't mean they're odd. (laughs) There's something different about them. They have something that is attractive. There's a light in them. And uh, so, anyway, that's one of the goals of discipleship is that you become more like Christ. Let me read this to you. It's Romans 8, and I'll probably jump around quite a bit with scriptures, and I'm not going to ask you to run to them but if you want to try and keep up, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you, um, unless you're in the front row, then you've got to reach behind you. If you don't have a Bible with you, that is. If you have your own Bible, great. Um, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, so that means he knew everything about you. He foreknew you. Before you ever did anything, he knew what you were going to do. Before you ever took your first step, he knew that was going to take place. He foreknew you. He knew every time you would sin against him. He also predestined to become predestined. So here, destiny was already determined. He predestined you. For what? To become conformed to the image of the pastor. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. To become conformed to the image of his son, that's the whole goal of discipleship, is that you become, become conformed to the image of Christ, of God's son. It's so simple, yet so hard at the same time. Because you know what? We're stuck in this old flesh, and this old flesh cries out. And it wants to do some things that are opposite to what God the Father wants you to do. I like the latter part of this too, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, I, I like that. Because you know who the brethren are? Look around. Look around. You're the brethren. But he was the firstborn of the brethren. And now I'm supposed to be like him. And I, I like being called his brother. You know, you're, you're considered his brother. I'm, I'm sorry, ladies, but you're considered his brother. And, and it's kind of interesting because um, there's a lot of names that we have. You know, we're the church, and we're the bride, and we're, but we're also his brother. And that's, I don't know how that all works out. God's going to have to determine how that's all going to come together, but um, I know it's true because he said it's true. So those who follow Christ are destined to bear his image. If you follow Christ... You know that you can become saved and, and, uh, and not grow? You're aware of that. You're aware of that, right? You can, you can become a Christian and not really grow. You can stay in that same spot all the time. And uh, that's, I think that's ludicrous. Personally, I think that's just unbelievable that you would want to stay in that same spot. You, you, I would hope that when you, when Jesus Christ introduced himself to you, because let me tell you something. You did not go looking for him. No one said amen. Let me say it again. You did not go looking for him. He came looking for you. It says that he chose you. They, the, the, the God of the universe, God the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they decided who his name would be written in a book. It was a council that met and did that. And so, in that, the whole idea of, of becoming a Christian, the whole thing is not that you get saved and you get set on a, a pew somewhere, and now you're saved, you, here's your fire insurance policy, and now you can just go live like whatever you want to. No, that's not true. That's not true. Um, you should be growing. One of the ways that we grow you around here, one of our responsibilities, and we're going to talk about that more fully, is we do small groups. We do classes called Grace Upon Grace that's going to start next Sunday morning. We do conferences. We have a men's conference. We have a women's conference coming up, the pursuit of holiness, right? And you know those are great classes. They won't do anything to grow you if you don't come. They won't. We've, we, as a leadership, uh, as pastors, have designed a program of things, not a, not a program like a program, but like things out of the Bible that we say it's imperative for you to grow. You need these particular classes. You need to understand that you, just think of this, you just got saved and you're still sinning. Do you know that you don't have to sin anymore? You were once a prisoner Stuck in your sins And you don't have to do that anymore Well how do you learn that You come to classes you, We bring you underneath And we start to equip you We start to equip you, we start to disciple you And discipleship comes Right out of this pulpit every Sunday We're discipling you every Sunday We come We, we sweat Over the word of God I know that sounds Strange to you But this morning, about 1 o'clock in the morning, when my computer went off and I couldn't get it to come back up, and I'm trying to type these notes, there was a little bit of sweating that took place. Fortunately, God worked that out. But you think I'm working hard at laboring over you guys, not just preaching, not just this aspect, but pastoring you. Let's talk about it. But the goal, my thing, the purpose of the whole discipleship thing is to make you more like Christ. It's to get you to a point where the sanctification process is really working in you. Look, I've been saved for 60 years. God's still working on me. I'm still being discipled. We had a preaching team meeting on Wednesday. I met with Todd and... Manny was there and Bobby and we were discussing this and I said, listen um, I've been discipled, we all have a spiritual father we're going to get there, well maybe I'll save that story for later I'll save it for later, let's do this take a look at 1 Peter 5, 1-4, through 4. now I'm going to tell you some things that are instructions for the elders and for the pastors of the church And you're going to say, well, we're not the pastors and elders. Why are we talking about that? We're talking about discipleship. Absolutely. Because it's our responsibility to teach you how to disciple. And one of the ways we do that is we look at what our responsibilities are, and then we teach you the same things that we're being taught. The same things we're responsible to do, you are. Is, Is the Great Commission in Matthew 28, is that only for me, Todd, and Tim to do? No, it's for everyone. It's for everyone in the room to do. But one of our responsibilities as pastors is to instruct you and be an example how to do those things. So we'll look at that. Therefore, this is 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, I exhort the elders. This is Peter talking. It says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. This means that Todd and Tim and I don't get to pick you. God put you here for us to shepherd. And that word shepherd means to feed you. It's one of the aspects of being a shepherd is to feed you. To show you in the word of God what you're supposed to be doing in your life. And I want to tell you right now, I think all three men that we just that I just mentioned including myself, when we come to instruct you in what the word of God says, It has been working on us all week long. By the time I get up here, I am so beat up sometimes with what God has been telling me. Beat up in a good way. But anyway, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Interesting statement. Um, I would like to think that I would do it because it's what God's put in my heart to do, to be a pastor, to shepherd. I'd like to think I would do it without the unfading crown of glory. But boy, it's sure nice that I think we're gonna get that. Especially if we do what we're supposed to do, right? Um, I just can't imagine an unfading crown, one that never fades. That's incredible. So what do we see in that? We're to feed you. We're to be shepherds. The elders and, and pastors are supposed to shepherd you. We're supposed to, Exercise oversight in a voluntary way, not because we have to, but because we want to. We love you. If you find one of us not to be loving, boy, would you pray for us? How many of you pray for the pastors here and the elders? Yeah. Well, then there's hope because you're praying for us. We do what we do with eagerness. We do what we do, not lording it over the people. Um, We are to be examples for you to see how to disciple, how to be discipled and how to disciple. And then there's a reward for that behavior. Those are just some of the essentials of discipleship from the aspect of the leadership of the church. The cost of discipleship is great. Um, Paul gives several examples of what it costs to be a disciple um, he says in Galatians 4.19 and I love it because he says my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you ladies how many of you have had a baby okay so is that labor easy yeah you're, I heard some laughter which means it's not, right? It's it's there are birth pains that happen. And um there's a, a series of contractions. There's a series of things that take place there. And when you're in those contractions, those pains are extreme. You can't even walk when they hit. And so um and Paul uses that in that passage of Galatians four to say My children, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But oh, ladies, ladies, when that labor is over and you get that baby, you get that child in your arms. I've heard it said, I don't want to insult any of the ladies, but I've heard it said that the pain is forgotten almost exclusively. Otherwise, why in the world would women have more than one child? Right? And some of you women are extra crazy because you've had like a half a dozen of them. No, I appreciate that you did it. You love children and you wanted them and God blessed you with them. And now it's the church's role to help you raise them and pray over them and be there to help every family in here. That's part of our discipleship role. You know, there's people in the youth ministries that are discipling your grandkids or your children they are and so thank god for that second corinthians 11:29 he says who is weak without my being weak who is led into sin without my intense concern there's a passage here a little bit later i don't know if i've time to read it but it talks about sleepless nights oh i have had some sleepless nights with concern about members of this body. Yeah, yeah. It's the stuff you don't see. You just see us up here in the pulpit and you see us with the greeting you and we love doing that. I think we love you very much. But it, you cannot forget about some of the things. When you're weak, I feel like I'm, I'm, I haven't done my job. We haven't done our job if you, if you continue in the same pattern. Now, some of that's your fault. But when we're doing everything we can and there's no progress, it's sometimes very frustrating. But we make ourselves available to meet with you individually, privately, whatever we have to do to help. So there's another part of the discipleship role. When you become a disciple, because I'm talking about what the elders and the pastors of our church do, because that's biblically what we're looking at. But at the same time, it's not exclusively ours. You're all supposed to be ministering. Who are the ministers of Valley Bible Church? Who? All of you. If you've been through a membership class, you've heard us say that. We're not the ministers. We're one of. But you guys are the ministers. You're the ones pulling off ministry. I can't be in the nursery and preach at the same time. Someone's over there ministering to the moms and dads in this room by taking care of your baby. And they're ministering not only to you as a parent, but they're ministering to that child also because they're taking care of them. Well, let's look at Colossians. We'll do maybe a couple more and then I'll move. uh, Colossians 1, 28, 29. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor again, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. If I did not have, if Tim did not have, if Todd did not have, and if our elders did not have the Spirit, you would be in much trouble if you were waiting for us to do something for you. It's the Holy Spirit that drives us to do the things for this flock that we must do. We must do them. Another thing is, one of the things I'll guarantee you that we'll do here at Valley until I'm dead and gone, and I think Todd will probably be here the rest of his life, so you got another 40 years with him. So I hope you like him. Um, but what we do is we, we will do what Paul said he did in Acts 2020. How I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of the Word of God. If you notice. What we're trying to do with 1 Corinthians, we're going through it verse by verse, section by section. We aren't skipping over something that we don't want to preach on. That would be wrong. No, no. We're going to take you right through that book. Whatever the subject matter is, we're going to preach it. And it may not be popular, and you may not like it, and we might not even like it, but I'm over that. I love every bit of it because it's what God wants to say to you. We're not going to hold back anything. If it's talking about whatever the current thing is if that passage comes up we're not going to shirk our responsibility we're going to go right at that passage we're going to preach it according to what God is saying in the passage we will not get on our high horse we will not become political but we will be biblical at all times we guarantee you that if you ever feel we're not being that way please tell Todd oh I mean tell whoever's preaching that day so This is just a little example of what discipleship looks like, what it costs. There's some costs that are involved in it. And I think it sometimes scares people from wanting to be involved in it. And so how do we do this? How do we do discipleship? You might be asking yourself right now, you might be asking that question, well, why'd you read that to us? We're not pastors. Well, because you're still, you don't get to shirk your responsibility to be a disciple either. Everybody has to be a disciple. According to that Matthew 28 It wasn't just for pastors, it's for everyone. Disciple baptizing. Discipleship, if you're going to disciple someone, it indicates that someone got saved, typically. So there had to be an evangelism aspect, and there's always an evangelism aspect to discipleship. You've probably evangelized somebody before that, and now they want want you to disciple them, typically. All right, so let's think about this. Well, that's, I want to make sure that you understand that, though. We're talking about the elder's responsibility, but guess what? It's passed to you. It's our responsibility to equip you with the knowledge of how to do it. We're supposed to do it, but so are you. And so it's very much that way throughout Scripture. So Here we go. Hold on to your hat. We've got 18 minutes to do about 30 minutes worth of stuff. Now, I know because that's what happened in the first service. Um, being a a disciple of men, being a shepherd of others is not something that only belongs to the pastors. I just said that. If that were true, then the Great Commission would not be for everyone. But it is for everyone. But our role as pastors, this is the role of the pastor. Because in discipleship, the pastor is to set the example for the flock to follow. So if we're discipling, we're setting a pattern that you can see And you can copy that. You can follow, but you also can copy what's being followed. And the hope is, the hope that you should be having in your mind right now, is you should be saying, well, I certainly hope they're following Christ then. Right? Because if we're following Christ and we're giving you that example to follow, we're giving you the example how to do these things, hopefully we're doing it correctly, right? So this is where you never get out of the responsibility of checking on us. And Tim and Todd are shivering at the fact that I said, check on us. <laughs> All right? So, um, yeah, let's do that. Hebrews 13, 17. Um, was, oh, let's look at it. We have to look at it because it's one of my favorite verses, which I say that about a lot of verses. Um, I probably will continue to do that from now on because almost every verse in here is so good. How can it not be one of your favorites? But this was a passage that uh, long before I was a pastor, long before I was in leadership at this church, it, was, it really truly was one of my favorite passages. And I'll, I'll tell you why. So listen, it says, obey your leaders and submit. Well, as a leader, that's great. I love it. Oh boy, they got to obey and submit. That's good stuff. And you're like, I don't want to obey and submit. Well, let take it up with the Lord then. But the second half is the part for us. And it's also an encouragement to you. Because it it will indicate to you that we're probably not going to ask you to submit and obey something that we shouldn't. We're going to line that up with Scripture. If we ever ask you to submit and obey something that we can't defend with Scripture, just walk away from us. Go, yeah, they're nuts. We're not doing that. Okay? Because you have every right to do that. But look what he says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Hmm. It's our responsibility before the Lord and he's empowering us to do that, thank God to keep watch over your souls. You see, Pastor Larry, how come you ask me how I'm doing or when I miss a week you say, I missed you last week or because I'm keeping a watch. We're on that wall. My brother Willie Cooper's not here and I haven't heard one watchman. But that's what he's talking about. When you hear him say watchman, he's saying someone's got to be on that wall watching. And the pastors and the elders of the church are the ones that have been in charge of doing that. But guess what? You can be on that wall too. It's not just us. We go on. They'll, they keep Watch over your souls. And this is the part that can be terrifying. And Todd's shaking his head yes. <laughs> As those who will give an account. They'll give an account. And that doesn't mean I'll give an account to you. I have to give an account to God on how I treated you did we give a pattern of discipleship that you could follow? Are, are you still immature because we didn't help grow you? We didn't equip you properly. We have to give an account about how we do that. We have designed a programs in here, and I don't like to think of programs like you know 100 ways to raise your kid. I don't mean that. We've designed some things that we believe are very scriptural, that are very basic, that are take you from this point to up here in growth, just a growing we're discipling you from the pulpit. We're discipling you in classrooms. Todd's launching that uh, Grace Upon Grace next Sunday. Well, man, if you want to know about the grace of God, you want to know how to be more in touch with what God intends for you, I would encourage you to go to that class. If you want to know the design that we have or the thing, we, we picked out six books to go through in small groups. We did that collectively as pastors. We said, we think these six items are super important for you to learn. Now, you're not going to get them all in one year. For the next three years, probably, we're going to be doing those six books. So if you picked out one that's your favorite this time and you're thinking, oh, man, I don't really like that other one. Well, if you stay in small groups, you're going to go through that other one too because they're all important. And they're all important that you know these things about the Lord and about your life and how to live it. Um, We don't ask you to do things that we don't equip you for. I don't expect you to, you know, live like the second coming of Paul if we haven't instructed you on how to do that. So, and if you become that, praise God. But we don't expect that without some instruction from us as the pastors of this church. So our duties are to feed, uh, to exercise oversight, uh, to be eager about it, and don't lord it over you, uh, be an example, and then uh, the Lord will reward us for that. Now then, I've got 11 minutes. Let's do this. I'll try not to bunny trail anything. Uh, somebody got mad at me in the first service because I actually threw some notes out and was able, unable to cover them. And they are like, I wanted to hear the whole thing. I'm like, I was already 10 minutes past. What are you talking about? So there are some crazy people out there that want to hear the whole thing. Uh, thankfully, thankfully. I'm just teasing about the crazy comment. And so now I'm at the point where I'm saying that, well, now that that's the introduction that we just went through. Um, so now we'll get to the actual essentials that I want to talk about, and I can do that pretty quick. We're back in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21, and uh, dynamically we, it just kind of came out that way. We finished chapter four, and then we've gone through these eight weeks. and Tim, and, Tim is going to be doing chapter. he'll be starting off in chapter five next Sunday. So we're back in four. wasn't intended, but it was part of the discipleship thing, and so here we go. Um, and this is a passage that Pastor Todd spoke on about eight weeks ago, I think, or seven weeks ago, something like that. Did a marvelous job with it. But I'm looking at it from the aspect of the discipleship. So I'm gonna look at it a little bit differently and we'll, we'll go. So number one, I have uh, five or six things, actually about seven things that we need to talk about. Number one, in verse 15, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, which you could have, right? You could have several teachers even in even at Valley You may have sat under a bunch of different people's teaching, and that's good. There's lots of tutors out there. So what's he say, though? If you were to do that, yet you would not have many fathers. That's interesting. For in Christ Jesus, Paul is saying, I became your father, how? Through the gospel. Through the word of God about Christ. That's how I became your father. Now, That doesn't even mean... Now, in the Corinthian situation, he probably truly was the one that led them to the Lord. Preached the gospel, they grabbed it, and they took off with it. That doesn't always have to be the case. You can be a father to someone in discipleship that you didn't lead to the Lord. Maybe they were at another church and they had to move here, and they hadn't grown hardly because they just got saved or whatever. They come here, and you take them into a small group Bible study, or you get a hold of them, and they they just kind of come under you, and pretty soon... You become like a father to them. Okay? And the word I use for this is, he begets. He begets. B-E-G-E-T-S. All right? So you beget. So you become a father to that individual spiritually. A spiritual father. You're not the physical father. You're their spiritual father. All right? And that's what Paul did. He, he became he became to most of the churches that he was going around to. That's why he identifies them as his children a lot of times. He's saying, I'm, your, I'm the spiritual father that you have, little children, okay? So he begets. Now, by definition, beget is what a father is and how does he become a father? Well, you, in order to be a father, you have to have children, correct? So you have children or you've at least adopted children, okay? That does that for you. Many tutors, one father. You notice in uh, the books to Timothy and Titus and in other places, you'll hear Paul call them his sons. They were going around with him. He was their spiritual father. They became his sons in the spiritual area. And then remember that this was, he became their father through the gospel. So he didn't do the convicting work of the Holy Spirit but that's what happened to them. And then the regeneration work comes from the Holy Spirit. But he was there when they were birthed. Or he's taken them and they've grown underneath his ministry. Okay? So that's number one, he begets. Number two, he loves. And that was verse 15. Verse 14 says he loves. Um, I do not write these things to shame you, but to, ad- but to admonish you as my beloved children. Once again, establishing father, children, beloved. He loves them. Now, I got to be careful because I could get, re- we could stay here for half an hour on the love part. Um, I learned something in counseling. And uh, those of you who've gone through some of the counseling training that I went through will learn that. that in, in counseling, what you learn real quick is that um, no one will share anything with you in their life if they don't think you love them. So, Like the number one thing you have to establish as a counselor is that you care and you love them biblical counseling I should say I care about you and I love you if soon as you know that now you'll open up and tell me what's going on You'll let me know and then in that knowing then I will once I get to know who you are and we get that That connection then you'll listen to some of the things I tell you to do about that And then the final one is you have to go do them so at the beginning the counselor loves you, or the pastor loves on you, or the discipler loves on you. By the time it's over, it's you have to go do those things. Okay, so um, there you go. He loves them. First Thessalonians 1, excuse me, First Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12 is this wonderful picture of what this looks like. I just want to read it to you and touch it just quickly. But we prove to be Jesus Paul again, but we prove to be gentle among you. In our ministry to you, we were gentle among you. And how gentle? As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I don't think there's a more gentle or tender statement in in Scripture, hardly. Just as a mother nurses her baby. Oh my goodness, what a picture. Having so fond an affection for you. A pastor that doesn't have affection, they won't last. A pastor that doesn't love you, they won't last. Because you're going to wear them out. And they're going to be like, I am out of here. I could do this pastoring thing except there's people involved. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives Sounds like a picture of love to me. Someone that'll say, I'll get out of my bed at three in the morning and meet with you because your son just committed suicide. Or whatever the circumstance is. Because you had become very dear to us. People, some of you I don't know real well. And I'm sure Todd and... Tim would say the same thing. But you're dear to us. And the elders would say the same thing. Chuck, would you say that? Absolutely. You're dear to us. We love you. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. There's no greater love that you can share with anyone than to share the gospel of Christ with them. You are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. He begets, he loves so that you would walk in a manner worthy of Paul. No. That you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. So what did you see? A nursing mother, fond affection, well-pleasing. They were dear to him. They worked hard night and day, and they weren't a burden to him. You're not a burden to us. And nor should the person that you decide to disciple be. Number three, he admonishes them. Verse 14 again, and to admonish means just to counsel or warn to warn someone. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. As my beloved children, Galatians 2, Paul opposes Peter for his duplicity. Peter is not eating meat, and then he is eating meat, and then he's not eating meat, just depending on who he's with. And Paul goes to him and says, you're wrong, Peter. You're wrong. Stop doing this. Quit acting like a Jew one day and a a Gentile the next, depending on who's in the room. Stop. That's an admonishment. And I don't think he did it because he hated Peter. He loved Peter. But he's like, hey, you can't do that. If we see you in sin, it's our job to come to you and say, hey, you got to stop this. Stop the sin. Warning you. Second Thessalonians 3:10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. And I just picked this passage and then I thought about it this morning as I was reading it to the first service. I'm like, this is a hard passage. It's tough, especially in a world that we're in right now where we see homeless people everywhere. But look what he says about this. If anyone is not willing to work, they're not willing to work, then he is not to eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. If you're not willing to work, you're doing no work at all. But acting like busybodies. Interesting. The lack of work would say you shouldn't be fed, but because you're not working, you have time to be a busybody. How many of you work in sixty hours a week? It's pretty hard to be a busybody when all you do is work all the time. But if you have no nothing to do, but have idle hands on your time, uh, idle, idle time on your hands said that backwards, didn't I? Okay, so if you have nothing, you know what we found out in COVID? People had a lot of idle time. You know what happens when you have idle time? Idle hands are the devil's worship, it says. Scripture says that. We had a people with a lot of idle time and they would go on Facebook and they'd go on these different sites and they'd say things that were the most ungodly things to say they became busybodies on social media claiming the whole time to be a Christian to the world that's seeing them backbite and busybodying everybody and you're like, what? We have gone completely mad. Well, people weren't working. Interesting. Just a thought. So you admonish. You admonish as a, and that's to warn. It really is. It's not to uh, shame them. It's to warn them. This pattern of life is not good for you, okay? Uh, Fourth, be an example. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. He's doing something. He's saying, hey, you can imitate. I'm your example. I can be your example. Imitate me. And and he could say that pretty confidently because in Corinthians, he also said, be be followers of me as I am of Christ. Um, Philippians 3.17, brethren, join in the following... Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In Titus 2.7, he says to Titus, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So, I want you to hear this. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Very interesting that he said that. He's telling Titus, this is how you should act so that no one can have a bad word to say about us. Why? Because I'm the discipler. I've been discipling you. If you go out here and start doing craziness, people are going to go, oh, Paul didn't teach him. He didn't do a very good job of discipling. So he's warning him. He's saying, hey, make sure you keep this straight so that no one can have a bad thing to say about us, about about the Christian church. Right? Some of the worst things that can happen is for you to claim to be a member of Valley Bible Church and you're driving down the freeway flipping people off. Or you're using language on your job that you shouldn't be. Or you're trying to hide out and not work. Please don't tell them you're a member here. And get it strained out. Get it right between you and the Lord. All right. Next one. Fifth one. So he begets, he loves, he admonishes, he's an example, and this is important, and he teaches. He instructs. In verse 17, he says, just, he says, and I will remind, the second half of it, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. There's so many opportunities to teach. There are. 1 Peter 2, two says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You should long for the pure milk of the word so that you can grow in your salvation. Teaching. It's our job. Um, very interesting. The pastoral gift, the, the preaching gift there, it's you've got to be able to teach. You have to be able to Teach. And uh, and so hopefully you're getting that here. Every time we come to this pulpit, we're teaching you something. And Lord, I hope you're taking notes because most of you will not remember this stuff if you're not taking notes. You'll be like, "Oh, that was a pretty good sermon. What was it about?" Oh, I can't really remember, but it was good. Well, that's not good. You should be able to recall some things because it won't change your life if you can't recall it. Right? Right? All right. The last one that well, not not really last, but Uh, man, okay. Discipline. Verse 18 through 20, The first instruction that the Lord gave to the church was, if you know someone is in sin, go to that person, follow up, tell it in the church, put them out of it if they do not repent. And that's, that's Matthew 18, 15 through 17. But you have to have discipline. You have to be willing to discipline the individual. And you also have to have discipline yourself. You have to discipline yourself to be a disciple. Okay. So this is what I want to get to and I rushed through a lot of stuff to get to here, because I'm already over. The final thing I want to say, and and pay attention to this, because I believe that this is like the cherry on top of the sundae. the the, The telling thing of Paul's discipleship. Look at verse 17 with me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. You see what happens here? He's telling them all about the responsibilities of discipleship here. And what does he do? He doesn't go to them. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. What does that tell you? Here's what it tells me. Successful discipleship. So Paul, after describing all the essentials of what a disciple looks like, sends Timothy, his beloved and faithful child. See, Paul was discipling. He was duplicating himself. He was confident that Timothy was capable of handling the Corinth issues. So, look, Larry Howard, pastor, how many of you do you think I can actually go see in a week? I mean, really, truly see you, talk with you for a few minutes. Probably not very many. Not and do the other things I have scheduled. But guess what you guys can do? You can meet with your neighbor. I can't meet with your neighbors. You can. You get in a small group, you invite them to your small group. I'm not going to be able to touch. Todd and Rhonda live in Vallejo. I'm never going to go to Vallejo and be around their neighbors probably. That's their job to do that. They have to be the disciples of the people around them, and then they encourage the ones that are discipling to bring people to that Bible study that either need to be discipled or they need to know who Christ is. But So we have to hand things off. We can't do all of it. And you can't either. I was in that room, in that preaching team meeting, and I'm there, and I'm thinking of Pastor Phil. I'm bringing him up again. I was thinking about how he had been my spiritual father for all these years at Valley. I've been here 52 years. So for 48 years, this man had been my spirit, and he still is. I can't get on the phone with him where he's not discipling me. There's no small talk with Pastor he doesn't care about sports teams. He doesn't. If you, you know him. Those of you who don't know him, I'm sorry. You're stuck with us. But I got on the phone with him, and t- I, I, I called him to just tell him thank you. Thank you. And as we're in that room, I brought that up, in the, in the, and then all of a sudden I went, oh, wait a minute. This is what Phil Howard did for me. He did these aspects. The amazing thing was I didn't even realize he was doing it. I knew he loved me. I knew he cared. I knew, but I didn't realize these this was the pattern. And guess what he's done? He's handed things off to us. He's made disciples that can do the things that he was doing. So he's handed things over to these other men to lead. And, and of course, God had to God had to make it clear that we were the right guys, but that's what he did. But I thought about it. I'm in the room. I got Manny D'Souza, who's our youth director. And then I got Bobby was in the room. And I'm like, hey, he discipled me. I discipled Manny. When Manny was like 22 years old, I was discipling him. And then I'm telling poor Bobby, I said, and Bobby, I've been discipling you for a long time too. I still am. Todd, I hope I'm discipling him. I hope that they're discipling me sometimes. We all need to be discipled and we need to be discipling. And when you do that, you duplicate things. I called it this in the early service it's a snowball that starts at the top of the hill and you roll it. And if you've ever done that, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's discipleship. If we do it effectively, it starts as a little snowball. And then it snowballs, as we would say, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you get to the heart of that snowball, guess what you find? Jesus Christ. Every time. He's the center of it. That's who we're supposed to be. Really, that's who we're supposed to be like. It's Him. And you have that ability because you have the Holy Spirit in your life. All right? Sounds easy, huh? All right, so how do you, how do, you do this? How are you going to... Um, like, you're, you're here this morning, you're going, okay, That's that makes sense, that stuff makes sense, I like that, it's, it's good. So now what do you do? Well, like we said before, successful discipleship is when you can have one of the individuals that you have been discipling replace you. And let me tell you something, there's nothing more exciting, there's nothing more joyful as a pastor than to see somebody just growing right out from underneath you. Like, they were so... Um, when they're younger in the Lord, they so desperately need you them with them like a lot. They're babies. What's a baby? A baby you don't just throw them in a crib and walk away and hope they grow, right? You got to pick them up. You got to you got to help get them fed. You got to help them get a bath now and then. Help them get cleaned up, right? And so if you do that, then they grow. And eventually, how many of you remember with your children the day you could finally say? Hey, we're going to go get pizza. Get in the car. Wasn't that refreshing? Like, uh, I don't have to get a car seat. I don't have to put a diaper bag together. I don't have to worry about cleaning you up afterward. All of, well, you probably still have to worry about cleaning them up a little bit. But, you know, so there's all those aspects. And I think that, because all those six, seven things we described, it's just family relationships. That's all discipleship is. Isn't this what a, a normal earthly dad who's not hung up on drugs or something Isn't isn't that what he's supposed to be doing? He begets a child, he loves the child, he admonishes or warns the child about multiple things, he teaches him, he's an example to him, he disciplines him. Doesn't that sound like, that sounds like my childhood with my dad raising me and my mom, my dad and my mom. It's the same thing in church. You get a spiritual father and they help bring you along they raise, guess what? My dad taught me about construction. And then one day, I'm doing construction without my dad. That's kind of how this works. You develop, you get strength. So how can you do that today? What's a thing that you can do? My man, I haven't grown like I should, or I, I haven't really been discipling. I'm not discipling. What can you do? Well, we just happen to have some things that we have that help equip you for that. One of those, one of the big things that we do around here is small groups. And we have about 500 people that come here every Sunday, and um, I, and about 230 of you are in a small group I think that was about our number 230 to 250, something like that well I'm going to challenge you to sign up for a small group you want to be developed, you want to be discipled you want to learn how to disciple get in a small group there's several people that, run our, that, are, that are in charge of one of our small groups you know how they got in charge of them They started in a small group. They started in a small group themselves, and that group grew and grew and grew, and pretty soon they learned from the teacher that was teaching it. They just watched him. They're being discipled by them, and pretty soon they're like, hey, this group's getting too big. We need to split it off. I know Tim has done this a couple times in his group split it off and handed half the class to another individual that he had discipled. Now he's saying, I'm duplicating myself. You go, and then that group got bigger, and they had to split that one off. That's the goal of it. The goal is that snowball effect. So small groups, that's one spot you can get. You can do the Sunday school class on uh, this coming Sunday, starts up grace upon grace. You can go to that class and learn things and be discipled. You can, uh, you can go to the women's conference, pursuing God's holiness. And my only question is, why wouldn't you? Are you happy with just being where you're at right now in your spiritual life? You're not growing, you're not moving forward. You're, you're, you're okay with that? I'll tell you, I'm not okay with it in myself. I've got to keep growing. You know, if you're not growing, if you're not growing, you're dying. Kind of interesting. <laughs> if you're not changing, you're not growing, you're, not, you're just dying. And this church, Valley Bible Church, what would we do if we had a 1,000 that were coming? I'll tell you what we, what we would need right now, we'd need more small groups. Which means I would need some people, we would need some people that had been developed through discipleship so they could take a class and they could go with that. This is not rocket science. But yet, if we don't do it, it doesn't work. Huh, kind of interesting, huh? If you don't do it, it doesn't work. That's not really brain science there at all. That's just something that's very true. So I'm gonna let you go, because it's way past. But I encourage you, I would love to go out there whenever I leave about 1.30 from here, that's about what time I usually get out of here. When I do that, I would love to be able to go back there and see those small group sign-up sheets full. Because every one of you needs to be in a small group. You just do. If you, if you don't do that, I just feel like you're saying, I don't, really, I don't really wanna be involved as much. I don't wanna accuse you of that completely. I know your schedules are really busy but if you want to we'll get together and I'll compare my calendar to yours if you'd like to because I get pretty busy too so we love you I'm going to say goodbye to you and we'll call it good I'm going to pray for us first Heavenly Father thank you so much for the word of God thank you for discipleship what a great plan you had even in this you, uh, all your plans are really good I haven't found one yet that I'm concerned about But this discipleship thing works so well. And um, I want to say thank you for men in this room that have been part of my discipleship over the years. Some more involved in that, some less, but all willing to have input in my life. Um, Pastor Phil, he's not here, but we'll thank him too. And thank you, Lord, for putting those men in my life. And so I pray that uh, you'll allow The folks here that want to be disciples, the ability to do so, that we'll give them the proper training and equip them for that, and that we'll see that Valley Bible Church will be a place where people will be able to say, if you come to that church, they're going to take care of you, they're going to feed you, they're going to love you, they're going to be an example to you, they're going to teach you, they're going to do the things that discipleship requires. And for that, we could only say thank you to you because you're the one that gives all those abilities. So bless us now as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen.